introduce to you our preachers today. Yes, there was an S on the end. We've got Johnny and Gemma Stockwood. They're going to be preaching today. Give it up for them. <laughs> and so we've got such a brilliantly, brilliant range of gifted people in the church. Whenever those who come to preach that you know, aren't pastors, then we just make sure that we kind of endorse them publicly, bless them and pray for them. So I'm just pray for you guys now before you speak. Okay. Father, thank you for this couple. Thank you so much for all you've done in them. Thank you, Lord, for that hidden, invisible work that you do that changes lives from the inside out. We love these guys. Let them know, Lord, our love. Let them know, Lord, our faith. I pray we would draw out of them all that you've put in them for this message. They would feel, Lord, that they are preaching among friends. Lord, and we pray that our hearts will be pierced with the words they say. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hello. Can you hear me? Great. So I've never actually got to wear this mic before, so it's quite exciting. Uh, Okay, so me and Gemma have titled this sermon, Passion, Perfume, and Finding Your Voice. And uh, as we delved into this material in preparation, we realized a lot of it reflects kind of our story as a couple. Um, So nine years ago, uh, we were on the verge of breaking up, having been going out for three and a half years. Uh, Instead, we got married. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, we are married today. Um, And so we realized that a lot of what we worked through as we prepared the sermon is right here in these verses um, that we're going to be talking about, um, which we thought would be really cool to share um, that little element. Um, And I'll be going into my testimony in a bit more depth later as part of this talk. Um, So this is the fourth in our series on this book of the Bible uh, called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. It's a beautiful piece of love poetry, uh, between a man and a woman, um, that whilst not mentioning God directly, it um, speaks allegorically of the love between Christ and his church. Um, To understand a bit more of the context of this book as a whole, and we've had three sermons before by Clive and Steph, so you can go back and listen to them on the church's podcast. Um, Cool. So I'm just going to read through the the verses. So we're looking at chapter 1, verses 7 to 17. So, tell me... You whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. So, I'm going to hand over to Gemma now to hopefully explain a little bit of that. <laughs> John, Johnny's job is done. <laughs> right, I'm just going to pray quickly because we need Jesus. Jesus, I pray that you come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, just open hearts, open ears, um, give us uh, what we need to just uh, preach your good news um, to those who are listening today. Thank you that you are always with us, Lord. <laughs> So I'm going to start by talking about passion, um, verses 7 and 8. Tell me, it starts, tell me, you whom my soul loves. And uh, 
you can, I think it's fair to say that this woman who is speaking is not shy or retiring. She doesn't say, oh, uh, would, would you just mind if, oh, is it okay if she says, tell me. Um, she, is, she is relentless in her pursuit of her lover. She is not prepared to shy away, to sit back. Um, and I think that there's something profound here about passion. If you're passionate about something, you're not indifferent to it. You're not not bothered by it. You're saying, I want to do it. If it's a hobby, you just want to spend your time doing it. If it's a person that you're falling in love with, you'll do anything to be around them. Um, Tell me, tell me where I can find you. I remember before Johnny and I started going out, I lose track of the ridiculous excuses that we managed to find to spend time together. I think think my favourite was the time that Johnny asked if he could could borrow a hairdryer. And we... (laughs) We, we actually managed to wring out a good few hours of inane conversation over him coming round to borrow the hairdryer. And in fact, I think I only got it back when we got married. So uh, <laughs> there's one bonus to that. <laughs> um, but this urgent insistence, this sense of, I want to be around you, um, from the Shulamite woman, that's what the bride is often called in the Song of Songs, is similar to that um, of a woman in another part of scripture. It really reminded me as I was reading it through. And that's in Mark 5, verses 27 to 29. It should come up on the screen. It says, um, so this, this woman um, has been bleeding for many years. She's, she's ill. Um, and it says, she had heard the reports about Jesus. He's, he's come, um, he's, he's going to be around some people. They know that he's maybe going to be doing some healing. So she'd heard the reports that this was going to happen. And she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So she, this woman, the bride in Song of Songs, this woman in the crowd with Jesus, they're passionate because they know that there is something that their lover has that they just want to be around. Um, and, and there's a sense of this relentless, I will pursue that, I will come after it, I will, I will seek it out. But it's not pursuit for pursuit's sake. It's not, I'm just going to have fun running after this thing. The end goal is deep, deep, honest intimacy. The bride um, in, in Song of Songs, she says, hold on, let me just find it. She says, why should I be like one who veils herself? There's an idea here that the bride wants to throw off everything that might separate her from her lover, everything that would prevent her from coming near, everything that would be a barrier or a hindrance to intimacy. And in the same way, if we as believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be something in us, a work in our heart, that means we are compelled to be around the Father, Jesus. Something transforms and changes within us when we encounter Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes to us, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we just say, I want to throw off everything that's going to separate me. I want to throw off everything that means that I can't be near to you. If we're reading the bride here as representative of the church, and we can because consistently throughout scripture, we see Jesus referred to as the bridegroom, and we see the church referred to as the bride. Time and time again, it comes up. If you read, particularly in the New Testament, but also in the Old, you'll see the references over and over again. Then really what the church is saying is, where are you, Jesus? For there I will go. Tell me where you are. So there are many good churches in this city, many brilliant and wonderful churches. Um, and they might all look different. They might have different kinds of worship. They might have different kinds of clothes that the congregation tend to wear. Um, and styles and, and stuff can vary, and that's fine. But we know the mark of a good church. It says it here. It's where is Jesus, and the church wants to be going after that. That's what a good church is. Um, 
so what we see, like I said, is passionate pursuit, relentless pursuit. Tell me, tell me where you are. And that's a question that came in verse 7, tell me. And then we see the answer from the lover in verse 8. And the answer comes swiftly. There's no hanging around. It's not like Jesus leaves us waiting and wondering. And the answer gives her the means to find him, her lover. But it's not prescriptive. The lover, Jesus, the bridegroom, is inviting the passionate pursuit of the, of the woman, of his church, of the bride. And, and the answer, perhaps, is surprising. The bride's lover says, follow in the tracks of the flock. Now, often you hear people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need this religion thing. I don't, I don't need the church. I, you know, it's just me and God. We're having a great time. I'm fine with that. I don't need to go to church. Well, actually, I think what we find here is that that isn't the case because Jesus is passionate for his church. Let me just swap, move my clammy hands, swap my pages over. Um, so perhaps, perhaps, so yeah, so the other thing to say as well is that um, the language of the shepherd um, is also what is used to describe Jesus and his flock is the church. So maybe you're here today and you wouldn't say that you've made a commitment to follow Jesus. You wouldn't say that Jesus is Lord of your life. But as we've been singing, as perhaps your friends have spoken to you who've brought you here, there's been something of the fragrance of Jesus. Johnny will talk about fragrance later. There's been something of that that's just awakened your interest. And you think, but how do I get to know him? How do I find out more? Well, the answer is here. Be around the church. Come on a Sunday. Be around believers. Get stuck in. We have gospel communities here that meet midweek. Read the Bible with other believers. Eat together. Laugh together. As you're around the church, as you're around people who love him, as you're around his bride, you will find the lover of your soul. That is where you will find Jesus, in the church. So don't get me wrong. Salvation is found by the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can only be made right before him through accepting him into your heart and through, doing, through him doing a work in you. But if you get around the church, then you'll be getting a whole lot closer to the fragrance of that. Now, Johnny's just going to step up and share a bit of his testimony about that before I carry on. Okay, so I mentioned that um, we came close to deciding to end our relationship before we got married. And that was because Gemma gave me a very direct challenge, um, which was, was I going to live for Jesus fully? So I was a Christian, but I wouldn't say I was particularly living my life in a way that honoured that. And she said that if I wasn't willing to follow Jesus fully, that was it for us. She needed someone who was going to put Jesus first. That was what was going to enable us to grow a beautiful relationship. So I had a very clear choice. And thankfully, there was a very clear voice in my heart that said, yes, it is Jesus that I want. Um, So Gemma's challenge kind of forced me to face that. Um, But then that obviously raises a question. Um, How do you live that decision out? And it was answered by follow the flock for me for taking by taking the church seriously um and it was very simple things it was getting stuck into rev getting stuck in here um to stop sulking by the like no more table during and after the service sometimes during the service um it was daring to speak to new people who were different to me um it was awkward often it was awkward um but many of those conversations have led to friendships that are still strong now 10 years later um uh, and as i got around people like Gemma said and you know saw the passion they have for Jesus and his church, I realised that I needed to serve. So I got stuck into um, the setup team. Uh, it was 
good for me because I have very low self-confidence, so it meant I didn't have to talk to people, but I could literally be helping to like make church work every Sunday. Um, and I was alongside other people who were pouring literal energy into setting up every Sunday. And in the same way that iron sharpens iron, their passion was really infectious, and I felt that grow in me. But the key thing is, it was this simple, this simple engagement wasn't the end point. It was just the start. Um, I was allowing God to do his thing to work in me um, because, just because I was uh, obedient. Um, my heart was open to being worked on, and that's the heart of all of this. That's where the real changes were happening because God was at work changing my character, my temperament, and my faith. Um, uh, and those that know me well, uh, family and friends, and particularly Gemma, will be able to testify to changes in my character. Um, I'm a lot kinder. I'm a lot less cynical. Um, I have a faith that's really deep, even if it's not very flashy. Um, and, yeah, there's absolutely no other way that could have happened than Jesus working in me. Um, yeah. I'm going to hand back to Gemma, then I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Once he's told that it's, once he's told his bride to follow in the tracks of the flock, you hear me? Yeah. So once he's told um, the bride to follow in the tracks of his flock, once um, we've established the things that Johnny just spoke of, he then tells his lover, pasture your young goats. So we see this passionate pursuit, this relentless pursuit, followed by rest. But it's not, it's not sort of inane not really bothered idle rest it's passionate rest still perhaps a good way of describing it is seek God in passionate prayer and rest in adoration of him there's an I a sense that we when we pursue him he makes himself available to us and then we are to enjoy the intimacy of his presence and the, the idea of a pasture um is, it's is an interesting one it's where animals go to graze and the idea is there's a sense of limitless grass for them to enjoy. There's, you know, they can nourish themselves on it, nibble on what they want, go over here, go over there. Um, there's kind of a freedom and a rest and a nourishing that goes on in the pasture. And, um, and there's something of that, that that spoke to me of the unsearchable riches of Christ that are spoken of in Ephesians 3 verse 8. I think the Yes, yeah, so Paul says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in this context, just a quick note, unsearchable doesn't mean that God is distant, opaque, a little bit confusing, removed from us. It just means that the depths of his goodness, his mercy, his holiness, his love are so rich, so, so deep um, that we, we need eternity to delve into them and there'll still be more goodness to uncover. It's like the idea of a pasture in the same way that a cow is free to roam and to graze and to nibble. Um, so we are free to search through his scripture and his word to, to wallow in um, all that the Holy Spirit has for us and there'll still be more, there'll always be more because he is so infinite in his goodness and wonder. But if that's God, then we sort of, we sort of think... But what about, what about earthly love? What about, what about marriage? You know, because I really love Johnny and uh, we have a great time together. It's really fun. But um, so where does that leave marriage? Because often in the world we can think marriage is, you know, is about intimacy and it's about passion. It's about all of those things. And yes, it is. But we're also finite. God is infinite, but we aren't. And so if you're placing all your hope um, in, in searching out the depths of your spouse and then searching out you, then you're probably going to be disappointed. Because whilst marriage is a place of intimacy and vulnerability, um, we, in our 
still being redeemedness are, are not going to be able to satisfy one another. And there's something else. We, 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 we all in us have this desire to be fully known, this sense that oh, I really, I, I'd love someone to know me, to really know me and to really love me. But there's equally a terror in that, right? Because I know how despicable I am deep down. I know the awful things that I think that I'd be so embarrassed if everyone knew of. And so if Johnny really, really knew everything that went on in my mind, the thought of would he still love me? I mean, yes, he would, because we've committed before God to, to, to be married for, you know, until one of us dies, but, um, or until Jesus comes back. But the, the, the reality is that if you want to be fully known, and still fully loved, then the only place that you will find satisfaction is Jesus Christ. Because he knows the depths of our hearts. And yet he chooses to make the sacrifice on the cross for us so that we can stand clean before him. And when he looks at us, he sees beauty. And I'll talk more about that later. But now, Johnny's going to talk about the perfume of Christ. Cool, so verse 12... Um, It says, uh, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance, which is a very strange sentence to us now. Um, So a little bit of context. Nard was a very expensive perfume back in the day. Um, Yeah, and I'll go into a little bit about that later. So as Jesus the groom awaits the bride, uh, yeah, the bride, his church, um, the fragrance of her worship and her love fills the air around him like this precious perfume. We are constantly on his heart. Um, And he is constantly interceding for us. Romans 8 verse 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Coco Chanel, unsurprisingly, has some deep knowledge of perfume. And she sums it up kind of like this. Perfume sticks. It scents the air. It changes the feel of a room. It heralds someone's arrival and it prolongs their departure. It becomes an expression of them. We remember people by their signature scent. So in a similar kind of way, the fragrance of our worship spills out before the throne of God, and it reminds the king of us. He knows us, and I find this so beautifully reassuring that right now, even as we're just sitting here um, with all of life's cares and concerns around us, the prospect of a perfect, tangible eternity with Jesus is certain. He knows it already. This is now and the not yet. We're here, but we're waiting for that. And... At this point in the book, in the Song of Solomon, the lovers aren't actually married, just as Jesus and his church are not yet united in eternity. Our worship speaks of the day when this will be the case. It's like an echo of a really certain future. The perfume is a herald of what's to come, and it fills the heavens. And we see this nard, this uh, precious perfume, um, this representation of worship in the New Testament when Mary Magdalene anoints Jesus. Um, So it's in uh, the Gospels, but I've chosen the Gospel of John because I like the way it's worded. Um, so it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where um, Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary bought the very best she could afford. It was very costly to her. Not only financially, as this was expensive, but also reputationally, because um, after this, the people gathered at the dinner, they said, who, who is this sinful woman uh, to lavish praise upon Jesus in such an extravagant fashion? They deemed it really wasteful. But Jesus didn't see it that way. He said, she's done a beautiful thing. 
She loved Jesus generously. She didn't hold anything back. And this is really important. When it comes to the application of the next verses, there are very few things that are actually required of us, but the little that that there is needs to be wholehearted and reflect the unlimited generosity that God has shown to us. So Jesus is absolutely certain of who his church is, and we as the bride can be sure and certain of him. But there are moments when it can feel as if Jesus is distant and intangible. But thankfully, that is not the reality of the situation. Even in our darkest moments, his love for us never wavers. So fix your eyes on him. Let the truth of his goodness get deep into your very being. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus knows us. He knows our hearts, our fears, our dreams and desires. We are part of his bride, and the worship we bring, even though it might seem meagre and pointless in the eyes of the world, is as precious to him as the perfume that Mary Magdalene broke over Jesus' feet. And the fragrance of our heartfelt worship even in the midst of our chaotic lives, is a beautiful perfume that fills the air around Jesus. Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible puts it this way. Christ takes delight in the good works which his grace has wrought on the souls of believers, which I find really comforting. Then verse 13 says, My love is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Another slightly strange verse. Um, Myrrh was the burial perfume uh, in the ancient world, and it was made by crushing the plants the scent came from. So it speaks of the body of Jesus broken in sacrifice for us on the cross. And the line between the breasts speaks of how this takes root in our very hearts. It's right at the centre of our being. So if you're wondering why we worship, this is it. It's the breaking of Jesus. It's the fact that he left his place by God the Father's side in heaven, and he came down here, casting off his royal privilege and living life as a human being. That in itself is amazing. But why? Why did he do this? It's so he could live through the pain and suffering that this world brings, just like we all do. But unlike us, to do it in a perfect and sinless way. Romans 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we need a saviour. And Jesus' life, death and resurrection provide that. On the cross, he chose to take the punishment for every one of our wrongdoings. But in dying, he became death's defeat. Death could not hold him. He rose again. And if we call on his name, God chooses to see us as he sees his son, Jesus, spotless and clean, with not a single thing that can separate us from him again. It's the greatest and most outrageous mercy that has ever and will ever be conceived. And it's for us. If you're here and you've never heard this before, please think on it. It is absolutely radically life-changing. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus left us with God the Holy Spirit, his presence with us, which brings a deep certainty even in the midst of darkest times. This is the myrrh set between our breasts, living in our hearts, the scent of God. This is tangible and real. Jesus may be physically gone, but his presence is with us. And it still doesn't stop there. This isn't some kind of weird insular, like inward-looking love-in for us. We want to see others come to know the fragrance of God's presence. So we need to shroud ourselves in the fragrance of Christ as we go out into the world. So how do we do this? Well, thankfully, it's simple. Uh, We worship him. We speak his name. We remind ourselves of what he's done. We dig into his words, even if it doesn't feel relevant or real in that moment, because he's going to meet us where we're at. And his work is supernatural and powerful. This isn't just another philosophy or self-help technique. If it wasn't supernatural and God wasn't working, then it would be. But thankfully it isn't. So our efforts are to be simple but earnest. And then he does the rest. God is the one who changes us and ultimately will perfect us in eternity. 
It is good, I think, that we don't understand exactly how, as it forces us to be dependent on him. It's a kind of strange and wonderful dynamic where we put in a little bit of effort that's asked for us, yet the totality of the outcome lies with God and his power. It's this kind of active dependence. And we can trust that God will actually act. Um, Jumping ahead, I haven't got the verses, but chapter 3 of the Song of Solomon says, Jesus' name is balm to the soul. So there's power in his name as we speak it over ourselves. Uh, then there's verse 14, uh, which speaks of the vineyards of Engedi. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. These are a well-watered place. And this whole idea of fragrance is to be refreshment for our souls. It's not a trudging heaviness. Perfume spreads and diffuses and settles, but it's not heavy. So what is your aroma, Christians? Have you allowed the aroma of the world to get on you? Do you need to refine the aroma of Christ? He's a burden lifted. He's not a weight added. Um, that's a lie. And if it's costing you to worship right now, just press on. Know that the fragrance of it is beautiful to Jesus, no matter what the world says. And if you don't know Jesus, can you smell something of the perfume of Christ? And is it appealing? Um, because there has to be a response one way or another. And so how do we respond? Well, Gemma's going to bring the third part of our little sermon, which is talking about how you find your voice. So finding your voice, wow, the myrrh is it's just, the yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, and these, these verses, so moving on to verses 15 and 17, after we've heard about um, this passionate pursuit, after we've heard about the fragrance of God on us, um, we hear this, behold, you are beautiful, my love, behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. So we've got here, um, obviously the whole book, the whole of Song of Songs is a love song between two lovers. Um, but here we've got this, this snapshot of a love conversation. It is a speaking out of love. And um, to quote the Charlie Cleverly commentary on Song of Songs, which is absolutely fantastic. I think it's been mentioned pretty much every week so far in our series. Um, Cleverly says, if not spoken, it, meaning love, can shrivel. So it's really important that we are to speak out love, both in our marriages and also in a spiritual sense. So just to talk about marriage for a while. If Johnny never told me that he loved me, Or indeed, if he kind of did, but wasn't really that specific, never really actually said anything that was pertinent to who I am, then it probably wouldn't be very long before I didn't actually feel very loved by him at all. It is really vital within our marriages that we are giving voice to our love for one another. Find ways to to compliment, to speak well of um, your husband or wife. Praise your spouse, not in, a, not in the sense of the praise that is reserved for Jesus, but in the sense of you're just saying why you love them. Just speak out the love that you have for one another and it, you will see your marriage flourish, your love for one another flourish. Looking now to the relationship between us and Jesus, Charlie Cleverly gives a really interesting example of the speaking out of love and its redemptive power um, by looking at Peter in the Bible. Now, Peter was one of the disciples and um, he loved Jesus, but in the run-up to Jesus' crucifixion, he, he, um, he betrayed Jesus by three times denying that he knew him. And so Charlie cleverly talks about Peter and his re- restoration. He says, later, after Peter's betrayal, he is restored to rock-likeness through a conversation whose whole subject is love. 
with a thrice repeated question, do you love me? Peter finds his voice to say loud and clear, you know that I love you. As this encounter unfolds, shame drops off him and he steps back into closeness to Christ, which in turn unlocks in Peter world-changing effectiveness. I think some of you today need a Peter moment. I really feel like God was speaking that to me as I was preparing. You need to stop focusing on your sin. And what I'm not saying is that sin doesn't matter, because it does. But once you've repented, once you've dealt with it before God, stop going back there. Stop revisiting it. Instead, turn around, look at Jesus and give voice to your praise for him. Speak out your love for him. And as you do that, I believe that something in you will be unlocked. There'll be freedom that crumbs. Not crumbs, comes. <laughs> freedom doesn't crumb. <laughs> she, 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 the bride, says, behold, you are beautiful. She is confident to speak out praise for God, for Jesus. And as we express our love for Christ, something of the perfume that Johnny spoke about is released. But how are we able to do that? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse 15 um, says, your eyes are doves. Now throughout scripture, the dove is used to represent the Holy Spirit. So particularly notably in Luke 3 verse 22, um, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So if your eyes are doves, then there is a sense that the Holy Spirit is in you. That when Jesus looks on you, he sees the Holy Spirit inside of you. And we hear in Romans 8 verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption of sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when the spirit is on you, you cannot help but sing out praise. There's something in you that overflows, it bubbles up, and you speak out your love for Christ, because the Holy Spirit is singing it out from within you. But it doesn't stop there. The truly incredible and mind-blowing thing is it isn't one way. It isn't just us that sing love songs to Jesus, but he sings love songs to us. The conversation here is two ways. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. And Jesus today says to his church, behold, you are beautiful. It can feel so irreverent to think it. Oh my goodness, Jesus Christ singing love songs to me. But it's right here in his word. It is a love relationship that he calls us into. He is described as the lover of our souls. He is passionate for us. He doesn't just, it's not all give, give, give. It's, you know, he, he has, from us, it's, he has given everything. And so, and, and, and he continues to give by singing over us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God exalts over us with loud singing. Wow, we are called into a love relationship with the King of Kings. But it is not because you are delightful and wonderful and witty and good looking and funny. <laughs> you may be. <laughs> By the grace of God, he may have made you that way. He may have made you to be completely adorable. <laughs> or maybe there are some rough edges that need to be shaved off. Who knows? <laughs> but, but, what, but what God does see in you is the beauty of holiness. He sees his son. And 1 Peter 3 verse 4 gives us some really interesting insights into this. It's talking specifically about women here, but there is something that we can take from it today. The verse speaks of the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. 
Now, just to say at this point, if you're hearing this for the first time, or indeed if you're not, it doesn't mean that you have to be timid, shy, retiring in a wallflower to come into the kingdom. Thank goodness, because I would have long been priced out of it. (laughs) But it is talking about having a rootedness in Christ. There's a sense of deep, deep rootedness that goes down and you just know who you are. Beauty of holiness. In order to experience deep, soul-satisfying, passionate intimacy with Jesus, we need to be giving voice to our praise for him. But we also need to be able to receive the love songs that he sings over us. Don't, out of false reverence or fear or anything else, think otherwise or allow yourself to be priced out of that. The Shulamite bride previously described herself as dark but lovely. Steph spoke of that last week. She knew that she was sinful and imperfect, but that the glory of the blood of Jesus had covered her and made her lovely. Wow. So in conclusion, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you wouldn't say that you've chosen to follow him, I really hope that something of his fragrance has just caught, the something of the scent of him has just caught your nose a little today. We'd love to talk to you more about him. And equally, Steph and Rich, who lead the church here, would love to speak to you as well. Do seek them out. Seek a friend who bought you. But church, Jesus is the lover of our souls. He calls us into passionate pursuit and intimate rest with him. Your praise, even if it costs you, is perfume to him. And his scent, the scent of his death and his resurrection are on us. So we are called into a dynamic love relationship with Jesus Christ, lover of our souls. He says to you today, behold, you are beautiful. My fragrance is on you. It's beautiful. So I don't really know how to respond. I'm going to hand over to Steph. Well done, guys. That's great. Thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Well, I don't know about you, I want to worship the Lord, don't you? You don't just worship the Lord, I want, I want that fragrance, that perfume that he's put on us to, um, to, 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 to go forth and to be a pleasing thing to him. But there's that two ways, also delighting in his love for us. You know those relationships you get where someone's always deflecting the praise? So that was really good, and they go, oh, no, it wasn't, it was them who did it, you know. And you think, no, 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 I really wanted to say that, it was great what you did there, or if you say to someone, oh, I really love you, and then they just deflect it. That's not healthy. You know, and it can be a bit awkward knowing the love of Christ, because we're all aware, aren't we, of the rough edges. <laughs> you think, but actually, this gospel is so packed full of um, redemptive power that, that through what Christ has done for us, we can truly allow God to delight in us. Because he's filled us with the presence of his son. And, and, and we have the fragrance of Christ. So let's allow his love to wash over our hearts. And let's, let's let our nod and murn the fragrance of Christ in us come back up to the throne of God. And let's honour his name. Let's just do this for the, for our, the rest of our time together. And there's bread and wine. Let me just ask today that particularly when we take the bread and wine. And you can take it any time between now and the end of the service. I want to ask that when you take it, let's not get caught up praying for one another today. Let's, as we take it, just bless him, worship him. We, I think it's great and wonderful that we pray for one another, and I'm sure there'll be opportunity at the end to do that. But I want us, as we take the bread and wine today, let's just, let's just keep looking up, keep looking up. Keep, let's, uh, let's learn how to, how to allow ourselves to be transfixed on him. Does that make sense?
Yeah, why don't we stand to our feet and please come and use this space. Please let's um, sort of take your positions. Let's, let's just love the Lord. Let's sing our hearts out. Let's praise him and honor his name.